You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1145 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening, uh, post-Christmas holiday edition of the show, and I am joined as, uh, I would say, often or semi-often by Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Brad? I'm okay. Uh, my recording setup is a little bit altered. I'm on the road this week, so apologies to anyone if my audio is not fantastic. I'm trying to persevere to get the content to people uh, this entire week, but uh, other than that, things are okay, and um, you know we have to, of course, get into... A lot on this show. We will preview sort of, uh, you know, the Hawks play the Bulls twice in the next four days, basically. We'll preview those games and also talk about the insanity of the roster, which I want to start by just saying the news of the day on Sunday as we're recording this um, is that both John Collins and Jalen Johnson are now in the protocols. And uh, there's a very, very, very long list of players in protocol at this moment in time for the Hawks. And they were Reported to be signing Shondi Brown of Michigan and Wake Forest fame. That won't happen until Monday. But if they do that, as expected, the Hawks will have 23 players on their roster, which, Glenn, that's not allowed usually. Normally, you cannot have more than even 17 players. And uh, having 23 players in the middle of a season is just ludicrous. And it kind of tells the story of uh, how crazy this has all been. Yeah, I, I, and the more that I see this kind of, you know, these transactions happening and the rosters manipulation happening around the league, the more I realize, like the, the I think Adam Silver and the, and the league just realizes this isn't going away anytime soon. Like if they even took a break for like a week or two, um, uh, for the purpose of like trying to get this under control, that this is all, all of the science that they're listening to must be telling them that this is here to stay for a while and they're going to have to have a plan just to manage through and push through. And I think this is a, going to be the norm for a while, at least um, reacting to the way that they're managing the situation or approaching the situation. So I, I, you know, I don't think this is going to be a thing that we're kind of uh, reacting to here for just a week or two. I think it's going to be pretty normal until, uh, you know, I don't know, at least January, February is, is my best guess as a, a obvious layman on, on subjects uh, like this, but yeah, it's going to be a, just in a way crazier than last year yeah not that i'm an expert either but i think uh, talking to people around the league as much as i can and i'm not i'm not woe or anything like that but i do have people that i that i know around the league you know teams and uh pr people and coaches etc and no one seems to think this is going to change anytime soon you know i guess if you wanted to be positive about the hawks in particular is that if you do the math on this you know they've been hit so hard the last week plus that it almost has to get better, you know, knock on mm-hmm. wood on that, of course, but um, it almost just the math of that, you, you know, at some point those guys are going to come out of protocols and the roster will be more normal. In fact, the Bulls we'll get into later had a situation where they actually had two games postponed and they were kind of the first team that got hit really hard. And now they're pretty much at least getting closer to normal. So maybe that's the next step for this Hawks team, however that might, however long that might, that might take, but yeah, I mean, I know Silver got a lot of flack for, um, the comments that he made to Malik Andrews about, you know, how they he couldn't find a reason basically to uh, press pause 
and I think that's part of this. Obviously, I don't, I don't think it was worded particularly well necessarily, but uh, I think that uh, that's maybe part of this. And I know Hawks fans are frustrated. I, I know, I'm sure you've seen this too on Twitter. Like Hawks fans, every time I tweet the injury report out right now, it's like, why is Adam Silver playing these games? And I understand that feeling because it's it's not fun to watch necessarily. You know, Christmas Day was uh, I don't want to use the term ruined, but it was certainly altered by the uh, sure. situation for the Hawks. So I get the frustration. We'll definitely talk about it around uh, on this podcast, but. Clearly, we'd all like to uh, be watching the uh, more normal situation of the Hawks with Trey Young playing, et cetera, and no one's saying otherwise. Yeah, it, it, I mean, right now they because we're really still getting used to you know these bigger rosters and and um, and the way that the active rosters are put together on a day by day basis, sometimes hour by hour. It feels like they, they don't feel like real games right now uh, because it, from the I mean, obviously from the standpoint they they matter in, in the wins and losses columns, and it'll be a factor for you know who makes the playoffs who makes the play and all that sort of stuff but in terms of trying to take away some analysis i know we'll get into some of that but it's just harder to do because you're like what analysis here is useful what analysis here matters beyond this game or this week or the next few games and it's it's just much harder to kind of feel like there's something material for you to kind of take away from any given game whether it's a hawks game or some other game that you might be watching um but I mean, I think if you take a big step back, the teams that can kind of manage themselves through all the roster flux and get their teams as ready to play as possible, they're going to do better than uh, teams that uh, struggle to do that in, in the coming weeks. And, and that's going to end up mattering. And, and could that be helpful for the Hawks to have such a veteran, you know, uh, head coach? Um, you know, maybe, you know, um, but it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, which teams can uh, just get their groups of players kind of, uh, you know, ready to play um, to the, you know, C plus, if you get it to a B minus <laughs> level, you're probably doing great. <laughs> yeah. Little bit, that's the, that's what teams are dealing with right now in terms of trying to, you know, log wins is, is getting their teams ready to play. For sure. And having Nate, you know, I know Nate's not always, you know, universally popular among Hawks fans sometimes, but having a veteran guy who knows how to manage situations is helpful in some respects. I don't think I'll ever agree with everything that any coach does, but it's just one of those things where I think you are in pretty good hands there, but you know, the Hawks are famously, you know, four and eight in their last 12 games. They are struggling. They were not playing great before all the issues some of it's just like a luck factor of like when guys are out and who's out at the same time and clearly Saturday wasn't a lot of fun on Christmas they lost that game but you know they were a big underdog coming into it for a reason they had a real roster shortage so it's like how much do you take away from that you sort of got into that a second ago and I kind of said on my immediate show after the game on Saturday like if you give me two choices between really kind of panicking about Saturday or throwing it out completely I would definitely choose throwing it out completely just because of who was available and who wasn't. And yes, they had actually kind of a kind of a fun, scrappy, uh, very bizarre win on Thursday to make it feel a little bit better. I think, you know, if they had lost four in a row coming in and they obviously easily could have lost that game in Philadelphia, they were supposed to lose that game probably on paper. And that maybe salvages some negativity that might be hovering around the team after what was a pretty uh, disappointing loss on Wednesday to Orlando. But I mean, as you kind of mentioned there's not a lot you could take away from the team aspect other than just like the wins and losses, but there is some, I guess, individual stuff perhaps that we could get into. Like players have been thrust into situations. Um, the roster has been a little bit, you know, obviously stretched thin, but the defense has had some uh, interesting stuff. Let's just say in the last few days. And then the offense is, kind of, you know, predictably created without Trey young, which is kind of explainable, but at the same time, um, what I guess we could probably get into that as well. So um, I'm going to throw it out to you for uh, topic number one, I suppose, like, what is the number one 
takeaway in your mind, if you even have one from the last week or so in this, uh, in this non Trey young, you know, uh, COVID rattled uh, stretch of time. I think it's been talked about some, but um, it's become clear to me that they, they're going to need to figure out something at the backup point guard spot. Not that I, um, you know, want to just completely move on from, from Lou, um, but he hasn't been um, a reliably good enough player so far this year, for sure. Um, I just say I don't want to be completely dismissive of him having any value to the team. Um, you know, you and I, I think, come across on Twitter as we're the biggest Delon Wright fans in the world sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, he he doesn't do what um, you need Trey's backup to do. If, right. You know, in terms of what you run and, and trying to have some continuity there. I think, um, you know, if you kind of think about the big picture, the idea was that Lou and Gallo should kind of carry the offensive workload of the second unit. Uh, and that just hasn't worked. Uh, Lou uh, just hasn't uh, had the juice at all this year. And Gallo got to a slow start and it's been up and down for him. And because they don't have anybody get them into mostly the pick and roll, you know, he's not really functioning as a pick and pop guy. He's not able, when you don't use him as a pick and pop guy, you're not using him uh, the leverage he offers to get the opposing big out of the paint and open up, you know, um, some room at the rim um, for guys like say Reddish and Delon uh, to kind of get in there. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest issue. And, and when you see them play for a while without Trey, um, it, it, despite how constructive and helpful Delon can be, they're just, they're basically, my view is that their bigs are built to play with a pick and roll point guard. That's just how the roster is constructed at the four and the five kind of all up and down, um, and, you know, they don't have anybody that should be a heavy, you know, back to the basket post, uh, you know, guy or anything like that. They're, they're all Capella, Conklin, Collins are, you know, really fast from the point of the screen to the rim. Uh, they're all fast rim runners and things like that. And then Gallo is, you know, one of the very best pick and pop, you know, bigs in the league. And so not having that pick and roll guard is, is death, you know, for their offense when Trey's not on the court. And right now when Trey can't play at all so i i don't know how you go about solving that because uh certainly lou has equity uh, in the league and with the team uh, and such um, but that's the biggest thing to me that that i see is going to hold them back whether we're talking about trading back maybe as soon as tomorrow night i have no idea what to expect uh, or trading out uh further and if you kind of look back at what's been going on they really can't push past about 95 points in the game when statistically they're the top you know, three offense in the league when they're in their normal kind of roster state. And so I, I, I've come to, to see that as something that wasn't clear to me at the beginning of the season as being probably the biggest issues that, that recent games has only made clear to me. We'll have more with Glenn in a moment, but first a word from our sponsor today's show. And the first of which is Truebill. Do you know why free trials are new without your consent? It's a business scam that's out to get you. Don't let corporate greed pocket your money. Instead, download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, don't want, or simply forgot about. On average, people can save up to $720 a year with Truebill, and because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there right with you when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. And Truebill is awesome for someone like me who has a ton of subscriptions across the landscape. Sports makes it so I have to keep a wide swath of information. It's really, really valuable to have Truebill to make sure that I don't get bamboozled. Truebill has over 2 million users and it's helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. 
Go right now to truebill.com slash locked on NBA. It could save you thousands per year. Truebill.com slash locked on NBA. I think that's a real obvious and also true point. It's been a huge talking point uh, among fans. And part of that's because we bring it up. Part of it's because they obviously see it and the numbers are what they are. You know, the offense craters I and mean, this is uh, cleaning the glass. So it's uh, it's adjusted for garbage time, et cetera. But the Hawks are scoring about 101, 101 points per 100 possessions without Trey on the floor this year. And it's, it's not a new problem, but, um, you know, they've actually been better than average on defense with Trey off the floor. Not incredible, but pretty good. But it's basically impossible for an NBA team to sustain reasonable play with an offense that bad. And it's not a new problem. It's been happening for years. Um, the numbers are way better with DeLon on the floor with, without Lou than they are with Lou without DeLon. Um, really with DeLon out in general, the numbers are much, much, much better but even with that, I mean, and you sort of acknowledged it, like you and I are pro DeLon in terms of what he does and the things that he brings to the table um, in terms of, you know, all the little stuff that he does, basically. And his defense is really good and he's a solid player, but n- neither of us are saying that DeLon Wright is the answer in terms of creating offense on a second unit. So um, that, that that point, I think, gets lost a little bit. And I think that's there's a whole other discussion we could probably have about, I guess it's like defending DeLon Wright or whatever it is from us, like maybe praising or whatever it is, but like, no one, including us, is saying that they need to throw the ball to DeLon and have DeLon initiate all the offense in the second year. Like, that's not going to happen, yeah. nor should it. And they know that. There's a, re- there's a reason why, number one, they like DeLon Wright enough to trade for him. But also, they did not just give him the second unit because they know what he can and can't do. They're not, like, they're not silly about it. Um, there'll be moments when he might have to run some offense. We saw that a little bit in the, on Christmas because they just kind of had to. And he had, he had a, obviously a good game in that game. But, like no one from Travis to Nate or anybody is just going to be like, okay, the long go runner offense. That's not what he's there for. Right. And versus the Knicks and all well, same for the Sixers, they just couldn't generate any shots at the rim. And that's, yeah. you know, with that, they normally really rely on a, you know, a heavy uh, volume of that, but like it's literally none. You know, well, you know, that, you, mean, you, you know, this too, like not to cut you off, but like, this is the thing that I probably haven't talked about enough. Trey is really the only guy on the roster that gets to the rim. I mean, John Collins, obviously, Click Capella, but those guys are those guys are play finishers. Trey, I mean, the wings, they don't have any wings to put pressure on the rim either. And that's been a problem, or at least a question mark going back even last year when they were obviously playing quite well. It's like, you know, look at these wings. None of these guys specialize in putting pressure on the rim. They're all better jump shooters or mid-range guys than they are rim guys. And that, that gets magnified even more when Trey's out there. Yeah, and, and Cam's been showing more recently. Agreed. And I know, yep. I know that fans are getting excited there. But I mean, the, the honest assessment there is that it's still he still has a long way to go in terms of that being something that consistent can consistently rely on. It, he's up and down a lot still, which is you know probably to be expected considering how much he has and hasn't played in the last few years and things like that. It's nothing wrong with being excited about some of the things you've seen from Cam, but I think also being um, just honest about the fact that he's not going to be the solution at least right now to someone that can get you into what you're trying to do uh you know even on the second unit and and i should say that you know to um you know, be a little bit fair if if the injuries situation on the wing weren't so bad this this second unit issue wouldn't be as big agree there'd be a lot more herder on the second unit and he can run a pick and roll he can yep. kind of get them in. he's he's way more helpful when he's acting as a kind of a secondary creator with trey he, you know that kind of that multiplier effect that they have together is tremendous. And last year in the playoffs, the Trey Herter Bogdanovich combo that were really good at spreading the floor and you know, you know, sinking all their actions and things like that. But I think the on on paper plan, 
would have had them using Herder to fill that pick and roll kind of creator gap a lot more so um, than has been possible because of the fact that he's had to move into the starting lineup. Now, Bogdanovich is back now, um, you know, but Hunter's still down. That's, so, that's another guy, though. I mean, Bogey, they they kind of use Bogey as the stagger guy with Trey in the playoffs yeah. and late in the sleep. And part of that was that same reason. So, yeah, I think to be fair to, you know, not that Lou's been good because I can get the numbers if you want to. Lou's, Lou's been very bad, and I take no joy in that. Lou's really struggled. The numbers are really ugly. Um, but beyond that, like, it's it would be easier for them if they had – guys to pair with because the plan coming into the season, like you just mentioned, was never going to be uh, only Lou and Gallo basically asking, asking those guys to carry the second unit because there, there should have been a starting level wing with them. That was the, that's the whole point of having four of those guys that you like is that one or two of those guys are all on the floor at all times. And this year that just hasn't been the case. Yeah. And, but, but to me, like, even if, you know, say Travis Slank might defend his plan as, as anyone in position would, it's not to be critical of like, you know, sure. him, but when you think about trying to get this team to the next level, like, okay, great. They, they got to the conference finals last year, did great work, had a great run. They were for sure playing their bas- basketball the season at absolutely the right time of the year as to maximize kind of the result of the season. But, you know, for, for anyone who is kind of sober about them, they're, they're still trying to get up another level, at least one, one more level, you know, to be a really at, um, you know, potentially, you know, one of the top teams in the league. And even the plan they brought into this season, if everybody was healthy, I, I think they're still lacking one more kind of guard they can put into the mix that can run a heavier volume of pick and roll and do use a more diverse set of skills than like even Herder gives them. Yeah. Uh, and where you can keep a guy like Herder in that secondary, you know, creator kind of role and such. So I, I that's a gap that they're going to, in my mind, have to fill before they can kind of get to the, the next step. I know that people ask us on Twitter all the time, well, who is that guy? And it's like, <laughs> it's well, hard. Yeah. The way the well, the way the world works is you have to kind of wait till someone becomes available. Like if you're going to try to make a move like that in the regular season, you, you, you can't, you can't just call someone up and talk them out of their guys, you know, uh, it's, and as much as you and I both know, it's much, much easier to make, you know, heavy roster changes in the off season and your rosters are really locked in in the regular season. Um, but, you know, that's something that they'll have to, uh, in, in my mind, just kind of kind of work on um, and, and see see what they get. I think the more they can get their wings back, the, like like we said a few minutes ago, this problem um, diminishes at least in size, doesn't go away, um, but at least it, it becomes less uh, less of a kind of a drag factor on their overall results. Yeah, I think that's good context because you know inevitably whenever I present a number or present um, you know some opinion that you know, is, you know, about the lawn or about Lou or whatever. Um, a lot of the responses that I get, I'm sure you get as well, are like, all these guys suck. And it's like, well, <laughs> uh, there's, <laughs> there's always more nuance to that. But uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that the lawn right is a fix of everything. He's, he's not, he's a solid backup guard and he does a lot of things well, but I think having him paired with guards, you could probably make that work. Uh, if you had him and Herter as on, on a second unit, I think that's uh, a fixable, workable thing. Is it perfect? No, because I agree with you. I think the ultimate construction of this team, if you would hope to make it the best it possibly could be, would be either another perimeter guy like a guard or even like a more on-ball capable wing um, to pair with Trey and also play without him would be helpful. But that's a uh, an everlasting conundrum that everyone's talked about for a long time. So not breaking any new ground there, but I do think that uh, it'll be interesting to me to see how long Nate is willing to go with Lou in particular. 
Um, we don't have to spend 10 minutes on this, but um, Nate, as we've talked about a million times, uh, is very veteran friendly. Nate likes his vets. He likes guys that he knows what they're going to give him. Um, and if this was Lou from five years ago, I'd understand that. I think that it's very possible, if not likely, that Lou's just kind of done at this point. It, I mean, he may not be. That's at least possible. But the number, basically, he's having the worst season of his career right now in terms of numbers, and it's not even close. Uh, he, the peripheral stuff is ugly, all that stuff. And I'm just curious to see, because as recently as like last week, Nate, we got a question. I think it might have been from Kevin, actually, uh, our mutual friend, um, about the second unit offense. And Nate just was clear as day, like, you know, we're going to lean on Lou and Gallo on second unit offense. It's like, okay. Right. Uh, we'll see how long they do that for. And listen, Nate is, if there's one thing that you might criticize about Nate, even um, as someone who I think is a good coach is that he is very stubborn. And that's, that's a long-term thing with him. It's like, he's kind of set in his stuff and he, it might take a lot to get him out of that. But I really will be curious when Lou is back from protocols, how much and how long they ride with him if he's not improving. Yeah. Agreed. And I, and I think sometimes people that, um, you know, are only watching the games, maybe don't have an appreciation for the fact that, you know, it's not like Nate could just pull Lou without at least thinking through what that's going to do to the team chemistry, to the team mindset, Lou's leadership and, and things like that. There, there's some real kind of human yes. aspects to things like that, that aren't just it's a matter very of, important. Oh, this guy <laughs> it's very important. Right. I mean, so beyond, it, beyond that too, like it's the, the whole, like, you know, trade this guy or cut this guy. And it's like, well, Lou Williams, uh, number one, you know, he, he probably retires if he doesn't come back to the Hawks this year. That's one thing. Like this is not a guy who you're, I don't think Lou's going to be a problem in the locker room, but you can't just like remove that guy without a conversation. Like there has to be some sort of coordinated effort because he has earned that. This is a 15 year pro. Like you're not just going to send him out to pasture without some real deliberation. So as, as much as that seems easy to people, I totally agree with you. Like it's, there is a human element to that always. Yeah. Players around the league are watching that too. Let's see how you treat a guy like that. And if you want to be a franchise that attracts players and players want to play for you and kind of have some trust um, kind of going in, uh, to kind of joining your organization, those things have to be managed. And I, I'm not suggesting that this is a reason that they can't make a change. I'm just no. saying it, ha- it has to be managed. You can't well, just say. And Travis cares Lou. too. I mean, right. Travis, uh, I think has pretty openly and also with his moves indicated, and I know this to be true just from, you know, off, off stuff that's not public even. Travis cares about that stuff. Agent management, player management. He's giving guys buyouts when he hasn't had to. He has definitely i think probably more than a typical decision maker taking relationships into account um so he he does care about that stuff for sure yeah yeah and then travis knows travis knows what's what there's i mean the the big thing to keep an eye on is the fact that travis still has all his draft picks plus one depending on what you actually consider that okc pick to be um but i mean that tells you that that Travis knows that there's a significant move to be made when it presents itself to get this team up one more level. That's my read on the situation, not that anything Travis has ever said. But when you kind of look around the league, teams that are holding back on their draft picks tend to be teams that are still waiting on the opportunity to use them when the really, um, you know, attractive opportunity kind of presents itself. I mean, you don't know when that's going to be, but that's that's what the Hawks are. The Hawks are a team that, did great to get Trey, and now now they have a, a a pretty you know in my mind bulletproof top five offense in the league so long as he's healthy and they put enough shooting around him and get pick and roll bigs um, on the roster like they do now. Now it's about kind of getting uh, you know 
the roster up one more level, and that's probably going to involve at some point him using either young players and draft picks or both to make that move, whether that's this year, next year, two more years, who knows? That's an external thing that you just have to wait on that opportunity to present itself. And, you know, so Travis, in my mind, you know, Travis knows what he's doing. He knows that they need a reputation for treating players well, especially players that have the equity in the league that Lou Williams does. And he's still sitting on all his draft picks for a very good reason. And that's just my read of where they are. We'll have more momentarily with myself and Glenn, but first a word from our sponsors. And the first of which is Built Bar. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar, and that is Built Bar. It's filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and it's high in protein. You get the best of both worlds. It's delicious, and it's healthy. With so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Well, you have raspberry or mint brownie, cherry or double chocolate, cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie. There are so many different options with Built Bar. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel that you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all the extra holiday shoppers that are out and about. So if you're just standing in endless shopping lines, Built Bar can give you all that extra something that helps you keep going. Throw one in your jacket or your purse. You never know when you're going to need it. And because it's the season of peace and love, do not bring up your favorite Bilbao flavors at family parties because people are so passionate about their favorite flavors, they'll fight you for it and things can get even out of hand. If you're friends with Santa, well, tell Santa to throw a few Bilt Bars in the stockings this year and with so many flavors that make anyone's Christmas morning a happy one. And if you like some of the marshmallowy treats around the holidays, you need to get your hands on Bilt Bar Puffs. They're light, fluffy, and marshmallowy through and through. Different flavors, all covered in chocolate, and they taste so good, you won't believe that they're filled with protein. Finally, if you want something to cozy up to with something warm as a holiday secret, you can dip Built Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa, let it melt a little, give your beverage a nice Built Bar flavor, plus you'll have that nice melty Built Bar to go with it. Be sure to have a couple napkins on hand. And with all of that said, you go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. Yes, that's promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at Built.com. Before we get to Hawks, Bulls, I do want to ask one more thing about um, kind of recent play. And it's kind of, it's colored a little bit by the, the, by Akongwu being out now, but um, people got very excited. And I'm not going to do the whole Capella versus Akongwu thing, which I think is pretty crazy at this point. <laughs> you can do it if you want to. Um, but I, I, I kind of want to just know what you've seen from Akongwu. Obviously it's a small sample size, but given that he was, you know, a high lottery pick two years ago, had the kind of breakout late last season when he was playing well in the playoffs and then had the uh, delay this year, but I think it's looked good so far. So I want to know uh, what you have seen from him. And if you want to weave that into Capella, you uh, feel free to do that. But uh, you, you also don't have to. So I, I'm just curious what, you, what you've seen from McConnell. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, just to kind of address the point and set it to the side is they, they need both Capella and Congru, um, in my mind, to be the best version of the team that they can be right now. Um, you need, I mean, first of all, be able to get 48 minutes of center play from those two is a is is a luxury um and now i know that you know capella has had good stretches and kind of rougher stretches this year um they will talk on and on and on about his conditioning and things like that but um you know they they, they need both for this year especially we, if you that if there is a in my mind a time to revisit that it's the off season capella can't be traded right now anyway it's kind of crazy um you know to you would have those conversations in my in my mind and my um, why well, my, my one and only I, I, I shouldn't say i shouldn't do this but my one only point on this is that uh uh what we talked about before about Nate mcmillan and uh stubbornness and veteran friendliness uh, I, I i cannot imagine a world in which clint capella is not playing a very large role in this team there's been kind of a movement recently to like I don't know if it's bench Capella or whatever, but like right. Capella was uh, number one. 
I think their most their second most important player last season. Uh, it was awesome last year, full stop. And yeah, he's not been quite the same guy this year. But um, in addition to the on-court stuff and Nate, even if you take all that away, uh, Nate's stubbornness, veteran-friendly, et cetera, uh, Capella's extension hasn't started yet. (laughs) And that guy is not going to suddenly disappear from the rotation or from the starting lineup when he's uh, owed $60 million the next three seasons. Just saying. It's not going to happen. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of what I've seen from a Congru, I mean, I didn't expect it to be so much this first few games back. You know, the passing has been impressive. The touch, you know, around the rim and in the paint has been impressive. The defensive timing has been impressive. So, you know, fans that are excited from what they've seen, I'm right there with you. I'm, like, astonished, you know, at what I've seen. Now, what does that really give the Hawks right now? You know, especially in a situation where, despite what fans might say, they're going to take advantage of having both these guys on the roster for sure. Um, to me, the powerful, um, you know, kind of uh, aspect of having both of them is that you can close with smaller lineups with a Kongu and JC at the four and the five without really having to live with some of the things that teams have to live with when they do go small. You know, JC and a Kongu can both offer an affirm protection, we, you know, help at the rim from the weak side switchable they can get out and defend way up away from the rim and recover and those are things that year by year you know Clint's just losing a little bit of that range a little bit of that recoverability he's still solid if not better than solid in those areas depending upon how the foot's doing in a given game or week or or, or whatever but when you think about um, kind of having a configuration where you can close with JC and a Kongwu and Matt and have those guys the way they profile defensively especially match up with another team that's trying to play five out with legitimately no center on the court. And the Hawks with those two guys are kind of playing, I don't know, you call it one and a quarter, one and a half centers, whatever you want to call it. That is phenomenal. And that's something that I, I don't, I can't think of another team who has that to present like right now. And that if they can just kind of push through to the point where they get Trey back and Herders back and Bogdanovich is reliably playing, you know, and he hopefully he doesn't um, you know have another issue and things like that eventually get Hunter back to be able to play Gallo to get the other teams big away from the rim for the, his stretches and then having the mix Capella, Okongwu and Collins, and then be able to close with a traditional lineup with Capella and JC or a smaller lineup with Okongwu and Collins is like, that is something really unique. And that is going to be something I think that is powerful for them in the second half of the season, if they could just get to the point where the roster stability offers that to flex towards defending, closing against a team that's playing big or to flex against a, um, you know, a team that's playing small and to uh, not really have to sacrifice in my mind in one way or the other, and to have to make choices. Like right now, if if they close with JC and Gallo, they're obviously making big defensive sacrifices to do that. And that's a tough choice. And Nate's done it. He's done it a lot and he's had to, and I understand it. But to, but to be able to say, no, we're going to, you know, use Gallo with the second unit and times where we really want to play five out four stretches, but we want to be better than that defensively when we close the game, that a Congo and JC pairing is incredibly exciting. And I think going to be something that really kind of sets them apart, you know, from the rest of the league, if they can kind of get the, the roster constructed back to where, you know, most of the guys um, that are planning to be in the rotation are available. I think it's going to be powerful. 
I totally agree. I, I think that Akongwu is so intriguing. And I, I, I really wish we didn't have to do and didn't have to. I, I think we don't have to do it, honestly. But I think uh, the, the natural, I get it. Um, the natural thing for a fan or anybody is like, this team has two centers, they can't play together, uh, which, you know, one of them has to win, quote unquote, or, uh, you know, dominate the minutes, all that stuff. And I get that. But I'm totally with you. I think Akongwu just unlocks so many different things. And this is a guy who's still extremely young and extremely talented. And there is a discussion to be had about the Capella extension, which we kind of had when it happened. Like that was an interesting move. I didn't, I didn't think it was terrible, but it was interesting on a number of levels when you just drafted a guy in the top six and uh, Kongu had impressed and all that stuff. And maybe that is something that we'll do at a different point. But uh, as far as the was concerned, he has flashed a lot. I think that's not surprising. I had him as a top four guy in that class for me. I loved him. And I think that he does unlock things like he is. He is more mobile than Capella at this point. He is a little bit more skilled on offense, obviously. Um, you know, I think Capella is probably getting a little bit of a bad rap in some respects at this point. Uh, but at the same time, Akongu does some things differently and the speed level and all that stuff is different. And also, like, look, I think that, I think Capella is going to start and will start and should start. But if you get a, a night where Capella doesn't have it, like if it's the other night where he's coming off of a of, of a COVID pause and was probably not in, keep, in top physical condition, as Nate kind of alluded to, um, you can pull him. If you, you can pull him if you need to. And you can go with Congo for 28, 30 minutes on a night. And that's not crazy. But I think that you kind of have to not always put a hot hand, but he does unlock some things. He can play with Collins. He can play with Gallo. He can do some other things. And um, it's kind of a, uh, it's more than kind of, it's definitely a huge strength depth wise to be able to play 48 minutes of basically, you know, top, top level center play. And, um, and also you still have, if you, if you want it slash need it, you have the Collins card as well for right. five minutes a night or seven minutes a night. If you want to do it, I think they'll probably do it less now that a was back provided Capella is also healthy because that, you know, that, that, that allows you to play Collins at, at the four where he's obviously a little bit better. Um, but you, you know, if you, you know, have three center options who are all potentially awesome. Uh, I think the other, you know, Capella and Collins are uh, you know, proven to be really good. And a is definitely looking like he's going to be there as well. So yeah, man, I mean, the depth there is real. Uh, and I think because the Hawks have been so banged up, people have almost lost sight of this, but like one of the founding principles of this team, maybe one of the top three or four beyond like the presence of Trey Young basically is like, we're going to be deep as all get out. And that's kind of their roster construction. And it just, it's kind of falling apart on them this year. But part of that is Kongwu, And we've not seen, that's the one thing that we haven't seen this year, actually. Um, Cause early in the year, they finally got healthy ish and we're playing close to at full strength. If you're first couple of weeks of the season, but Kongwu was the one guy that wasn't there. And we still we still haven't seen. I mean, it's it's hilarious now. For essentially two seasons, we've not seen the full the full roster, like ever. Right. Yeah, <laughs> for, for for sure. And then, um, you know the 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 be- the beauty of having you know Capella Collins Kongwu is you get into a playoff matchup with like the Bucks, where they're That's playing us at the five all the time, or even. Miami, where Bam is at the five, and the say they're playing like guys like basically wings for like Jimmy or you know or whatever that is, and and there's going to be situations where you're going to say to yourself, I, I don't know if we can play Gallo defensively at all. You can cover all your minutes at the four and, and the five, you know, mostly with you know Collins, Okongwu, Capella, and then mix in whoever that other person that's going to give you some time at the four. And you, in, in a playoff scenario where guys are playing 37, 38 minutes 
maybe more as the series gets deeper, you can work Gallo completely out of the rotation if it's not functional defensively. You can't do that if you pick one of either Capella or Congo, you know, and that's that matters. That really matters. Yeah. And, you know, there probably is a discussion at some point of, of what you do with Gallo and like whether you can, you know, get away with not playing him as much. And I think that, you know, there's this movement like to just not play him. Like that's not going to happen. Like Gallo is for one thing, um, a good offensive player and number two, sure. uh, making a lot of money and has a veteran status and all that stuff. And uh, maybe they trade him, whatever they're going to do there. But yeah, I think there are overlapping things. And that's one of the, the only thing that the Hawks don't have, at least they haven't had this year is that Hunter is their only small ball four option. And he hasn't been there for a while. So like, you know, as we'll get into this actually in a second with this Bulls game where the Hawks don't have any power, <laughs> any power forwards available, none, literally, literally none. zero. But, um, you know, right now, um, you know, obviously Jalen Johnson's something different and we've discussed that at length. We're not going to do that on this podcast, but he's a rookie. He's not ready. Um, and, and you know, and he's been rough. <laughs> yeah. He's been, he's been very bad, which is not, I mean, he's a rookie. It is what it is for sure. But yeah. uh, I mean, Gallinari is also like the only four option behind Collins because they, you know, Hunter is the guy that they have at least flashed to the four in the past in small ball looks. They don't have that guy. And Cam Reddish is not going to be able to play the four with any regularity. Um, TLC is the guy that they've tried a little bit of, but he's not quite there either. So, like, in addition to all that, like, it would probably help if they had Hunter around. So, it all comes back to that. Um, before we get too carried away and do a two-hour podcast, I want to ask you about the Bulls. Uh, yeah. So, this matchup, I sort of alluded to it earlier, but at this moment on Sunday evening – the Hawks are going to have probably 11 guys available unless something changes and things can definitely change. Um, but they're missing, you know, a long, long list, young Collins, Herder, Gallinari, Akongwu, Lou, TLC, Jalen Johnson, Shreve Cooper, Wessa Wundu, plus uh, both Sol- uh, Solomon Hill and DeAndre Hunter are still hurt. So that's a lot of guys out. It's 12 guys out, which is insane. That's, that's a whole roster missing this game. Um, they have an available player group that, uh, at least the top, you know, seven or so is manageable, but beyond that, it's pretty ugly. It's the same group as it was on Saturday, except for without Collins. And that's obviously a huge right. move because he's, he was their best player on Saturday, et cetera. Um, and I'm not kidding when I say they don't have an, an available power forward. So they only have two bigs of any kind available as of right now for Sunday, for Monday, Monday's game against the Bulls. It's Capella and Jang who, probably can't play together. We've seen Gorgie play the four at times in his career. I think he's not going to play with Capella, I wouldn't imagine. Um, so maybe you get 48 minutes out of those guys at center. That that would help. But um, Shondi Brown's probably their closest thing to a power forward, and he and he hasn't even been signed officially at this point in time. I love Shondi Brown, by the way, as a Michigan guy. But uh, this is an interesting matchup, Glenn, because they have a bunch of guys who are available on the perimeter, but the Bulls are pretty perimeter-focused with the exception of Vucevic. And this is kind of a bad time, I would say, to be in this roster situation. That goes without saying, I think. But uh, the Bulls are pretty good on top of everything else, and they're getting healthier, which is not great for the Hawks. No, this – I mean, on the Hawks' side, to your point, I have no idea what they do at the four and the five. I mean, presumably Capella and, and Gorgie cover all the minutes at the five, but – I mean, do the, honestly, this is not going to – this is not terribly important, but I would guess they probably start Reddish at the four? Or do they start Lance Stevenson? Right. Uh, those are probably the two options. It's like either they start right Mays, Bogdanovich, Reddish in a center, or it's right Bogdanovich, Reddish, Stevenson in a center are probably the options. They're not going to start Johnny Brown <laughs> on, I don't think on day, on day one, even though he is the closest thing they have to power forward. 
I can't imagine he's going to sign in the morning and start in the evening. But I mean, it, it really is going to be farcical on some level on Monday, particularly. And what's yeah. something, by the way, I should say this they could have guys get cleared. Like Capella, as of Friday night, Capella was listed as out officially on the injury report. And then Saturday morning before Christmas, he was able to play. So they, they as much as guys are ruled out, quote unquote, they can or could be cleared. We just don't know that at this point. So we have to assume what they have right now. Right. Yeah. And then that really matters. Cause like, for example, even just getting Herder back, you could, you know, take him off the ball and move him to the four. Um, and kind of the same with Lance. Lance had to play basically back a point guard versus the Knicks. Um, but if you get someone who can move on ball, then you have more flexibility of taking, you know, guys like Lance or Cam and kind of sliding them you know, up to the four, so to speak. I think that's more likely to happen with Lance just because Lance has played all the positions one through four in his career and, and, and has played, you know, um, and, and he's, phys- he's physical too. Like yeah. I'm, not, I'm not the biggest Lance guy, but he, he is a physical player. Like he'll go out. He's not going to be afraid to throw his body around. Right. Yeah. He, I mean, he, his elbow is on time. He knows what he's doing. He's in the right spot. I mean, and on top of that, you know, he's played for teams that Nate's helped coach before. And that, that, that's a factor to me as well. Um, if, if you're going to want to, if Trey is still out and the Hawks, you know, want to use this time to continue giving cam reps on ball, then you want to probably keep him away from the power forward spot and keep him, yeah. you know, as, you know, at the two or the three. Um, and if people are listening, like, why does that matter? Well, the way the Hawks run their offense, whether you play the four or the three or two really matters in terms of how many, how many and what kind of touches you get. On offense, for a sure. ton. Yes. Yeah, a ton. Absolutely a ton. Um, but, you know, will I be shocked if we see like five minutes of Capella and Gorgie while they're running zone. Uh, you know, Gorgie is a good enough passer and corner shooter that he can kind of function as the four on offense so that you can get to his own on defense. So I'm curious if we'll see some pretty uh, non-traditional mate stuff like that just because of, you know, desperation depending on who we could. Back. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing there, and I, I'm with you, that actually is a lineup that I would I would be willing to try. The problem is if you get any foul trouble at all, like – you have to get, at least in my mind, you have to plan on getting all 48 minutes with one of those guys on the court. So like, right. if you try to, if you try to have them staggered to where they're playing a little bit together, if anything goes wrong, uh, foul wise or injury wise, like suddenly you're just in deep dire straits. Um, right. cause, cause Capella and Gorgie, like, it's not like perimeter guys. Like, I can't imagine a situation where Capella is going to play 46 minutes. Like you might see Cam play 45 minutes on, on Monday. That would not surprise right. me, honestly. He's a young guy, but you're not going to play one of those two veteran bigs 44 minutes. Like yeah. I, I, that's it's just hard to ask any anybody of that size and to do that and physicality level. But so that you just kind of have to make sure one of them's on the court at the same time because again, it's not just not having a power forward. You can't go small. Like you cannot play small ball because you don't have anybody. I mean, if you don't have a power forward, you can't imagine trying to play somebody at center. Like you can't play Shawnee Brown at center. <laughs> right, so sure. you have to get through 48 minutes with Capella or Jag on the court, basically, or you're just DOA. Yeah, and 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 it helps that Vucevic is not a guy who's really kind of uh you know goes inside and you know and looks to create contact and things like that. He's more of a perimeter big. That helps them. Bradley is not a primary guy. I mean, he's a he's a really sound guy. He actually uh, missed he tonight, to... by the way. Tony Bradley was out tonight. So oh, I don't know if he's he... I don't know if he's gonna play. I think he's in the protocol. Um, not that oh yeah, yeah, he's on the list. Anyone? Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually wrote him down. So um, but uh, in their normal form, I, I think Bradley's a guy you have to count for as a rebounder and things like that. Oh, so yeah. I, I don't I'm not sure what they're gonna be doing. That's his best thing. Side. 
yeah um but yeah i mean it's going to be fascinating to see kind of kind of how they manage the the four and the five um and despite the fact that Vucevic kind of lives on the perimeter on offense and kind of which by design opens up a ton of space for uh zach levine and demar Derozan. You know, those two guys put a ton of pressure on the rim. Kind of, the, we were talking about the, the earlier, the Hawks don't really have wings right now that are doing that. These guys do that like every minute they're on the court, every every possession. Um, if you just kind of look at their numbers, you know, you know, DeRozan, 15 drives a game, Levine, uh, 10. Uh, they both <laughs> shoot better. They both shoot better than 50% uh, on drives. Um you know, if you want to compare that, Trey uh, has 19 a game at 50%. And so throws and Levine combined for 25 at the same percentage that Trey's given you. Um, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, if it, Then if you look at what, what their backup wings do, Javante Green and Ayo Desumu, um, you know, they're all shooting 48% or better from the four and their top 10 defense. So your top four wings are 48% or better from the floor and your top, that is just, straight up unheard of i mean it is just bonkers what the bulls are doing and so you have to consider for the fact you have to consider the fact that the hawks are trying to contain the rosen and levine but basically no wing defenders no guys that are on the court primarily for their defense i know something maybe, maybe lance maybe lance you could maybe, say. maybe yeah maybe lance but it's yeah maybe, maybe. uh he's the, he's the closest <laughs> thing you have and then cam I know fans want to see that, but that's not what he is right now. And if you're still shifting his offensive workload way up, he's a yeah. young guy. You're going to lose some on the other end. And that's I, totally I was going to say, that's the thing about Cam is like, yeah, I think there is a world in which Cam is a defense first, not quite a specialist, but with the role that he's being asked to play right now on offense, you can't expect him to do that. And Nate's even kind of mentioned, not, not explicitly, but his defense has not been what it was at different times, which is, it's explainable. And it's not like a, it's not a disaster, but when he's going to have your number one usage level on the perimeter, he's not going to turn around and be your stopper defensively as well. That's just a tough ask for everybody. For sure. And like, this is a thing that might sound crazy, but they could really use Wesley Windu in these two games. Oh know? yeah. I mean, definitely. He would start, he would start at the four almost certainly just by defense. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, you, you actually had a great, I'll, I'll praise you. You had a, you had a great thread of defensive possessions from late last week where uh, West Windu was involved in a lot of them. And there was some Skyler May stuff in there too. And DeLon Wright, et cetera. And people should go look that up on your, on your Twitter page. But yeah, Wesley Windu, while he's not a very good offensive player, <laughs> Uh, he would help them on defense a lot in this matchup. And by the way, we're focusing a lot on the Bulls, like probably more than I normally were on the podcast. They play them twice. Again, I said that's early on the podcast, but they, they play them twice in a row. So it's like pretty notable to me. And I do want to throw this at you because I got somebody asked me this today. Um, and I get why they're saying this. And they were like, well, at least the Bulls kind of don't play a traditional power forward. So the Hawks might match up better with them. And that does make sense on, on, on paper. But what you said also matters too. Like, yes, Chicago plays a little bit smaller than some teams do, but they're also pretty potent in terms of their wing stuff. And like Levine and DeRozan, especially with DeRozan, the way he's playing this year, uh, you don't have teams that, there are not many teams that have two wings like that that put pressure on defenses like they do very often. So it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, yes, they're not huge. So maybe that helps you. But also, it's not a good matchup. <laughs> yeah, and and it's all by design. It's every bit. It's not like oh shucks, we don't have no. This is all by design. And I mean, just a, a little more statistically here, they're the most efficient team in the league in transition. You look at what they do in the half court in the pick and roll. DeRozan's in the 80th percentile. Levine's in the 75th percentile. At ISO, DeRozan's in the 96th percentile. Levine's in the 83rd percentile. They're seventh in fast break points. 
They're fourth in points off turnovers. They they play the passing lanes and play the gaps on defense a ton with their long rangey defenders. Um, but when you think about what DeRozan and Levine do in the pick and roll, which mostly is to generate mismatches and switches and mismatches, not necessarily to get your traditional like lob to the rim and stuff like that. And then isolation and then what they present in transition, the Hawks struggles in transition defense. And then the fact that they don't really have any defensive wings, no hunter, potentially no herder, depending on his status. Uh, Reddish as an offensive guy with a lot of offensive workload, it's going to give you less on that in the court, no window, et cetera, et cetera. This is a nightmare. And uh, I mean, this is a literally like the worst time for the Hawks to be catching this Bulls team um, who, like we said earlier, seems to have kind of gone through their a big wave uh, you know, of COVID. Um, so it's just super unfortunate, but, you know, Nate's a stubborn guy, but a lot of say, you know, we might say less stubborn coaches might throw out a ton of zone or, you know, a ton of like other stuff that's not normally in the toolbox, uh, for this to help to get them through it. But I literally have no idea what their plan is right now for how they're going to try to contain the ball, which they've been terrible at the last few games. Thankfully, Philly doesn't really have guys that are good attacking with the basketball, and that worked out. And that's why they yeah. won that game in some respects, because they didn't have, they weren't punished by that. So, yeah. They did. I mean, their defensive effort was at a completely different level versus Philly than it's been. And, and I think Nate was right. Saturday, they were tired. They were exhausted. They looked, when, I did, when I rewatched the game today, they looked – way more exhausted on the rewatch than I, I ever picked up on, you know, live. It was, it was a, the first game Christmas morning, you know, they played, they played hard, they played hard, but it was a, it was a noon game with a highly limited roster and guys have been playing, you know, Delon Wright played 40 minutes or something like that on Thursday and like Cam's playing 40 minutes and guys are playing more than they usually do. So yeah. I mean, that's, it was certainly not um, great, but I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, <laughs> Defending the perimeter has been the number one issue in my in my mind this season. If I had to name one problem that has limited the Hawks, it's perimeter point of attack defense. And this is a bad matchup for that. Obviously, the personnel is different now. You, you, you don't have Trey. You don't have Lou. That helps you defensively, but it also uh, hurts you offensively. And they don't have great replacements either. So we'll see. Yeah, and it helps in a, in a sense it hurts you because with Trey, you know, you're you know, top three of whatever offense, at least you're making enough you know, shots that you're able to go back and get your defense set. Exactly. When you, yeah. How good the Bulls are in transition and things like that, how fast they attack you and create mismatches. I mean, you know, I kind of read through them statistically. The the kind of the summary of what they do schematically on offense is they basically run the same stuff that the Raptors ran under Dwayne Casey when obviously DeRozan was there for a lot of those years where they're looking to attack the creases and kind of beat the help defender that's trying to get to the gap and Levine and DeRozan have long strides quick. They're, they have great with angles. They have tremendous body control. And then when they're not just attacking your creases, if you get your defense set, they're going to run a, you know, a two, four or, or three, four or two, four, two, five pick and roll. And they're going to try to get a big switch on to DeRozan and Levine. And then they're going to just go into isolation. And like I said, isolation, DeRozan's 96 percentile, Levine's in the 83rd percentile. So good luck, you know, um, so it's just, you know, it's 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 fascinating to 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 see that. Um I think about Delon and like Skyler Mays, like how sound they are in help defense and team defense. And I think probably gonna see a, a lot of a lot of them in this game. And I I don't know what the kind of what Skyler Skyler's standing is for the coaching staff. It's, it they've seen hesitant to play him this year for whatever reason. Maybe that's just the fact that Lou and 
uh, DeLon have been active for most of the season until we hit this stretch or whatever, but he's just a really sound fundamental guy. Lance helps you in those areas as well, but the defender one player away from the ball versus the Bulls is going to have to be on time and in that gap in the right spot and manage that spacing and the communication on the backside of that guy shooting towards the ball is going to be critical, which to your point is why they're going to have to have Capella and Gorgie, one of the two on the court all the time, because those are two veteran guys. They're going to communicate that behind that play the whole time they're there. So the personnel is a terrible matchup um, <laughs> in terms of what you put on ball, but like, you know, I could talk myself into a little bit of oh, Lance and Skyler, you know, moving into those gaps from one player away from the ball. Maybe you put Cam on the ball as much as possible. He's a way better on-ball defender than an off-ball defender right now, um, you know, and, and those things. And maybe you can kind of get enough of that to work. We'll see. But there is no way they can survive any possessions without Gorky or Clint at the back line communicating all of that stuff and trying to keep everybody in those gaps, cut those creases down. Don't ever even present those creases, make them back it out, go to that pick and roll, try to switch the mismatch and still keep yourself organized and connected. So if you can not present the crease defensively, force them into the pick and roll, get them under say 10 seconds on the shot clock, you have a chance to hold up for 10 seconds and, and give yourself a chance. So you know, when you're watching this Bulls game on Monday night, if they're getting shots in the first half of the shot clock and they're getting in the creases, you know, well, the Hawks have no chance at all to compete in this game. If they can not present those creases and force the kind of the basic action that will get them down into where they only have to defend that for like 10 seconds or so, they have a fighting chance in this game. What are the, what's the scheme and what's the approach that Nick Millen and, and company kind of use to try to make that happen on defense? I'll, I'll, I'll be as anxious to see what that is as, as the rest of it. Us. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's all, that's all appropriate. And listen, if you want to just say that actually they have some pretty intriguing defensive lines to put out there in this game, if they want to, like if you, if you start playing DeLon Wright, Scholar Mays, you know, Lance Stevenson, Cam Reddish and Clint Capella, that's pretty good on defense. Like you could be kind of frisky with that group. I don't know. I don't know if you can score, <laughs> but you, uh, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's, that's the other problem with that. So like, we'll see if there's that balance there and there is a little bit of an advantage. I think I might've mentioned it earlier, but this is a back-to-back for the bulls. They're playing right now, actually on Sunday night. So they have to travel back-to-back box have a rest advantage through that, through that prism and also the home court stuff. So that's like, that's probably worth like three or four points, maybe five points. Um, obviously the Hawks will be underdogs in the game once they get some guys back, but um, you know, there's a path you know, they had a huge task on paper on Thursday and they pulled it off. Um, arguably the personnel is even worse now. So maybe that's even more difficult, but they'll be at home. We'll see how this, uh, how this unfolds. And then, you know, everybody's hoping uh, beyond hope, even if uh, we are sickos that enjoy this kind of weird stuff. Um, I'm hoping beyond yeah, hope that they have a better, a better and, roster, and, a better roster on Wednesday. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. But, I was gonna say hand raised here on the sicko part. I, yeah, I mean, we're, you and I are nerds. Trey, so. I want to see what I want to see what they do. You know. Yeah, you and I are nerds that might enjoy diving deep into the weirdness here, but also I, I hope that Trey and Kevin and Gallo. I mean, Gallo was the first guy that went into the protocol along with Trey, so maybe those guys are like a day or two ahead of everybody else. I, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're totally guessing there. You know, Herder had to. He tweeted that he drove back from philly or new york wherever, yeah, wherever he yeah. was he had to drive back on christmas eve so uh yeah um we'll see but we've covered yeah, it yeah, we've covered it a lot i think but uh we'll see yeah, I don't know. yeah just a representative a sample of the sicko part i remember watching the magic game last week and like going in it was like oh my god this is you know 
It was dire. That was that, that was a fun game. It got it got to like, be oh. interesting, but uh, I mean yeah. the personnel. The pro- if, you, if you just look at the available players and in that game, Orlando actually had worse personnel than Atlanta did, which was uh, the Hawks lost that game, which was disappointing. But the Magic actually had a worse roster coming into that night than the Hawks did. Uh, yeah. Hassani Hassani Gravit, uh, local product to lean forward on, on the court for Orlando and yeah. all kinds of stuff. But yeah, um, there might be a sicko element on Monday. We'll see. <laughs> And then uh, also, I mean, Chicago, same thing. Like maybe, maybe they rest some guys. It's a back-to-back for them. Maybe they pull the plug under Rosen for Monday. I have no idea what's going to happen. So we'll see. No, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But this is a good preparation. I appreciate you coming on to uh, not only talk about all the big picture stuff, but also diving into an opponent in the way that we don't often do here because, listen, they, they play twice in three days. So it's worth yeah. it. A split versus the Bulls would be a great Huge. outcome. Oh, so, yeah. You know, not going to wood that they get enough players back to – make it competitive. I know that the Hawks fans would enjoy that a lot more. So uh, we'll see, but I mean, even if they lose two games, I'm going to, you know, just, you know, like nerd out over all the little things that they tried to, all the little wrinkles they tried to kind of throw at what they're going to face with the bulls and stuff like that. But as you know, Brad, I'm a person that will go watch, you know, you know, 10 games a day in Vegas and summer league and love every second of it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're an actual uh, summer league sicko. Most people, most people go, go to summer league and watch like, one game a day of that and uh, just kind of are there for networking and you're there to watch basketball all day, which uh, I deeply appreciate about you. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why, you know, right now I'm probably enjoying these games more than the average uh, NBA observer, but uh, I'm not throwing that out as something I should necessarily be super proud of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, it's, I I think you're on the right track. There's been some ugly basketball recently and hopefully it won't be so bad, but yeah, to to, uh, sort of wrap this thing up, I think if the Hawks get a, get us, get a split, that would be huge. If they lose both these games, Listen, there's nothing wrong with losing to the Bulls with the available roster the Hawks are likely to have on Monday. Then you go to Chicago Wednesday, and even if the Hawks were at full strength, they wouldn't be favored in that game. And if the Bulls were full strength, because you know you're right. going on the road to Chicago, Chicago's pretty good. I still, think that, I, I still think I'm probably in the minority. I think the Hawks at full strength are better than the Bulls, to be honest. Um, even though the Bulls have been better this year, better this season, full, full stop. But um, regardless, like if you get a split here, that would be a huge win. And if you go into the sky isn't falling. There's, there's opposite context that's important there. So, um, well, Glenn, thanks for all the time. As always, please plug yourself. I know you got plenty of stuff going on and you've, I mentioned before your, your, uh, video, your video stuff on Twitter is always great. And you're writing as well at Peachtree Hoops, but uh, anything that you want to get out there? No, just, uh, on Twitter at Willis underscore Glenn. And then, you know, I still do, uh, you know, one follow up a week or, or so um, at Peace for Hube, usually on the weekend because of the way my work week is uh, kind of situated right now. But, um, you know, after every game, I'm usually putting some amount of kind of video breakdown out there, try to grab the things that seem to be um, kind of most fundamental to the outcome of the game and, and things like that. So uh, if you like that sort of stuff. Uh, find me on Twitter. Maybe give me a follow there. And um, as always, you know, check out the work being pushed out at Peace Who's had a great team there. And, uh, and Zach is uh, holding his own in, in year <laughs> one post Brad. Um, but I'm, you know, we're, we're supporting him as our leader 100%. And, uh, but I, I still think that's the best place to kind of get your um, uh, read, readable Hawks content and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then Kevin's going to be mad that I made an appearance here, but uh, I still should mention I'm pretty regular on ATL on 29 podcast with a good friend, uh, Kevin Shenard, even though Brad and Kevin are um, enemies. Uh, on the yes, internet, long, long time enemies, despite the fact that we sit next to each other at almost every Hawks <laughs> game and uh, speak all the time. No, uh, that, that podcast is, uh, no, one, no one told Kevin and I said this, but the podcast is very good with Kevin and Glenn. 
and also would recommend Peachtree Hoops. I'm no longer there, but I read that stuff all the time and I'm still in Slack with everybody and we talk all the time and invaluable information. I think if you're trying to find, you know, analysis, deep level analysis of the Hawks, you will not find it anywhere else at a higher level than Peachtree Hoops. And I don't even work there anymore. And I say that. So thanks for uh, doing this, Glenn. I really appreciate it. I will beg you to come back at at a later date, I'm sure, but I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Brett. As everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back again after Hawks Bulls on Monday evening, and we'll see you then.